Rogue Table Talks. 44. Number 44. Uh, it's I, uh, I was talking to somebody who doesn't go to, doesn't even go to church here. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about something and he said something about podcasts. And I said, yeah, you know, I actually, I do a podcast. And he goes, oh, I've never heard of it. And I was like momentarily like, what <laughs> are you talking about? You just got unfriended. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of. I'm Never sorry. Heard? What did you say? Never, Never heard, heard of it. Rogue Table Talk. Come on. Come on. You got to be down uh, with the RTT. I don't even know what to do with that. Oh man. Uh, and then yeah, it was like a momentary flash, and then I realized, yeah, no, of course. <laughs> well, well, just by statistics, what maybe 800 in in our own church haven't haven't heard right. of it. Right. I mean, I would heard say of it. 99.99 percent of America is not yeah. subscribing yet. I taught one of our classes here and uh, a wonderful group of people, but they did say, w- what's a podcast? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. No, I talked to somebody else who said, no, you should send out, like, you should send out a new edition of that every week. Like, email me. <laughs> like, yeah, well. <laughs> it is like that, but it's, it's a very, verbal email. It's very much like that. <laughs> it's a live email. <laughs> Anywho, and this was not an old, I mean, this was a young person, younger person. Huh. I, I'm saying young. Shame. Younger than I am. Shame. Yes. Let's shame them. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of shame and degradation, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. Yes. Yes. Prayer and fasting. Together. Fasting and prayer. Yeah. Prayer and fasting. Yes. That's why we've been stalling here at the opening, because... Who wants to get into no, that? Yeah, right, right. Um, so we're going to talk about prayer and fasting, and so we can talk about uh, just fasting in general, maybe to start with, you know, what is the deal with fasting? Um, should Christians fast? Um, is fasting commanded? Ooh. Hmm. I don't think it is. It's not commanded. Yeah, I don't you think know, it is I don't either. think it's commanded. It's not commanded. It um, may... But it might be assumed. It seems assumed. When you fast, when you pray. Because uh, folks asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Mm -hmm. The assumption being, uh, you know, all all devout people, all of God's people should be fasting. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, well, basically, I'm here. Since I'm here, fasting's not appropriate when I'm gone. Fasting will be appropriate. Uh, so good news. Uh, when Jesus returns, no more fasting. No more fasting. No fasting. <laughs> Only heaven, feasting. Apparently. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I don't think it's... it's And that's in, interesting, not commanded, but assumed. Um, and for most people who I don't think fasting is very common. Yeah. You know, what do we do with that? I mean, it's not common with me. I barely ever fast. Yeah, it's not really, it's not common with me. So, you know, should it be, um, you know, and that's sort of like, what do, what do I do with that? And then to me, then I like, why, why fast? Like, what is fasting for? Yeah, there was a season where it was more common in my life. Um, it, it was super spiritual Chad. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you, I don't know if you wanted to be around Chad at that time. SSC. Yeah, super yeah. spiritual chat. There yeah. was there was fasting and prayer and those things, but but in the last I don't know five seven years, it's 
if I fast for a day to pray, I mean, maybe once or twice. Yeah. Well, that's more, that's more than me. Um, and so I think that's like, maybe uh, like, what is it for? Why fast? Why, how I, when we see it in the Bible, where do we see it? Uh, and I think like there's, there's a, there are patterns of like when God's people were mourning or repenting of some, you know, the situation, the, the, you know, the state of the nation, their own behavior, there's often fasting Mm -hmm. and you fasting sackcloth and ashes, Mm -hmm. which is maybe, it doesn't sound (laughs) pleasurable. No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't sound in like, I don't have to do it. It's not commanded, and it doesn't sound pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Like, what? You know? I wonder if that's even part of it. Maybe you'll get into this. Is like, I don't know if we in the West that are, we have uh, quite a bit of wealth, uh, are used to going without voluntarily. Right. No. I think that's right. I think we not. And I think, in fact, when we talk about fasting, often, because, okay, let's talk about it. In the, so we're in we're during the season of Lent, mm-hmm. which for evangelicals isn't this you know it's not something that's always that outwardly like we're doing this forty days of prayer during the season of Lent, uh, but it's not like most of us go and get you know on Ash Wednesday go to you know go to Mass and get you know the ash on the forehead. Um, and then don't eat meat on and then Fridays. don't eat meat on or don't eat you know originally I think it was don't eat any meat during Lent mm-hmm. and I think at various times in history it's you fast for breakfast and lunch and you only have dinner during Lent or something like your the idea is you're giving fasting as part of what's happening in Lent mm-hmm. probably, you know not doing something is and I think now it's more typical like it's, I think it's most typical for people, I would guess most people at Calvary Church don't give up anything for Lent Mm -hmm. because it's not commanded. Mm -hmm. It's not something we really talk about. Uh, And then then if they give up something, it's something other than eating, typically. It could be, I mean, people give, commonly people give up sweets uh, or desserts. Um, Maybe they give up I don't know, ESPN. Right. I have heard people, we're going to give up TV, TV. for Lent. Um, and so, and I don't think, that, I, mean, I don't think any of those things are bad. It's just interesting that in this culture where it's, we don't go without stuff, like that seems like a big deal and it's rare. Mm-hmm. And it's not even going without food, which is even more rare. And I'm not talking about the whole intermittent fasting as a dietary sort of, I don't, that's not really the same thing. That's not, I don't think that counts in the same way that we're talking about here, uh, where you're fasting for a spiritual yeah. purpose. Yeah. I think when you look at the definition or the examples of fasting in the Bible, it is an abstaining from food to engage in prayer. Yeah. That seems to be, it's basic or a simplified, but it seems to be that's the most concurrent. Yeah. And things like uh, for repentance mm-hmm. or for corporate repentance or for um, mourning a the state of affairs in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about, um, was it last week we talked about praying God's word? Mm-hmm. I get the weeks mixed up. It was a wonderful sermon. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
It was. It really was. <laughs> um, where, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there can be a sense of mourning properly, I think, mm-hmm. that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, that yeah. there's injustice, that there's pain, that there's suffering. And there might be a season where you fast for some period of time and just to and maybe pray that scripture or dwell yeah. on that scripture. And there's a sense of focus that that might bring, a sense of gravity, maybe? Like this, I'm yeah. serious about this enough not to eat for part of a day or a day or multiple days. Well, and there's something, I think we get nervous around formula, formulaic. Right, us, us evangelicals. So so yes. I, I get that, yes. and I understand that. But before we go to the exception, there's also these moments, I think of um, Esther, where they needed God to act on their behalf, and she said, "Tell everyone to fast and pray." Yeah, I'm desperate. Well, I'm desperate for some action from God, yeah. or an answer, or an a, or answer, guidance, something. Right, and I think that's another, you know, way in which you see, like, and I do think that has something in common with grief for the state of the world that I'm desperate for mm-hmm. redemption. Yeah. More of your kingdom of truth, justice, love, mercy. And to sort of demonstrate that desperation, one of the things I'm going to do, it's not commanded, but it's one of the things I'm doing is I'm going to, I'm going to fast. And I don't, I think it's similar to uh, like for instance, um, Muslims are, uh, you know, observant Muslims are supposed to pray five times a day. And they pray at these times, and you know they there's sort of a ritualistic washing, and they face towards Mecca, and and so similar to this, where Christians aren't commanded to pray X times a day, in this certain way, but we should pray, mm-hmm. and it's assumed we're going to be praying, you know, and it's sort of like when you pray, there's there's daily, you know, the Lord's prayer in the prayer itself, it's an assumed that you're praying this daily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's sort of, I'm not sure we always in the church do well with, this is something you should be doing. I'm not commanding it. Yeah. Like, he right. doesn't command it. Right. But obviously it's something we should be doing. It's, I, a, it's a consistent practice in Scripture and a consistent practice of the church throughout history that you see people in groups fasting and praying. I mean, I think of, I think of Jesus, 40 day fast right. before yep. his launch of public ministry. Right. In the wilderness, he goes mm-hmm. to fast. Goes to fast and pray. Um, and then I don't know if there's any other record of him fasting during the ministry, but this was his inauguration of his public ministry. Right. He's praying and fasting beforehand. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, praying, fasting, um, something there of being filled in the, in, in the power of the Spirit. He goes out, and then the devil comes to tempt him. All of these things going on mm-hmm. uh, in the same you know episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. So I think when he was asked, if I, would have, I should have looked this up, uh, this passage up, um, you know, why don't your disciples fast? Like, I think somewhere in one of the Gospels, I think that's where the wine, wine and wineskins... Uh, answer comes in yeah. where 
it doesn't, it's not fitting now uh, for my disciples to fast because I'm here. Hmm. You know, the, 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 you don't, you know, the friends of the groom don't fast while the groom is there. It's time to feast. We're it's celebrating. Feast. We're rejoicing. Right. This is not a fast time. And when, oh, Jacob's coming to the rescue. Um, yeah, Matthew nine seventeen uh, is one. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And I think that's, uh, oh, you're going to the whole... Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment and so on. How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? So there's this, the understanding is there's an element of mourning, recognizing something that it's a desperate need, something that isn't the way it should be, that's inherent in fasting. And Jesus comes and, okay, that's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. But Jesus isn't. Jesus then leaves, mm -hmm. and maybe one of the questions is, do we mourn enough? Mm. And, you know, is do we feel, is our understanding of the Christian life, everything is great, everything is wonderful, praise the Lord for everything, which praising the Lord is good, but sometimes to recognize, you know, things are not great mm. in my life, in my heart, in the world, in the church, in my city, and I'm going to, you know, the 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 unshrunk, you know, patch on the on the shrunk, uh, and the you know new wine and the old wineskins. Well, now the new wineskins gone at the moment. So now we're in this other place. Mm. Like, what is fitting now? And so what I'm sort of wrestling with is it seems fitting to what until the bridegroom comes back. Yeah you know, mourn the state of affairs to some degree or be desperate for God's presence and God's redemption to some degree, that means fasting might be appropriate. Yeah, I think that is, I think that's true. I think it's a good point. I remember there was a, there was a series we did here a few years ago and one of the first conversations was about spiritual hunger. And I think if I can try to reclaim it in my mind, the, if you wait, so so I'm tracking with you here. Okay, mourning the state of affairs, mourning my own sin, mourning the lack of truth and justice in God's kingdom everywhere, um, and then wrestling with for God to bring those about. Um, I think if we wait until we feel desperate enough, we may never get there. And so spiritual right. hunger to me works different than physical hunger. Physical hunger, we wait until we feel hungry typically, and then we eat. But I would argue that spiritual hunger puts those in different orders, that we start mm -hmm. to do the practice and that creates yeah. hunger. We start to eat and that Yeah, we start to start to eat and it makes you yeah. hungry for I what you That's you're... right. And so that's that sense of this is a formational practice, like prayer, mm -hmm. that we, we should, that is appropriate to do and that will help form us spiritually. And those are positive, even though it doesn't feel like a positive activity. Um, it, there's a positive spiritual transformational element to that. And that for me myself that I should consider because I r rarely fast and I know people, I mean, somebody who's on staff here has fasted multiple times. He's fasted for 40 days. Mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> I was going to make a joke that he's, he, he 
drink smoothies, but that's not true. (laughs) 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 Um, Which, you know, whatever, that wouldn't quite be the same thing. But where that just seems, okay, um, am what would be helpful from informational for me uh, because it isn't commanded, and it's interesting that it's not. Yeah, and it's almost as if there's this recognition in the that if some of these spiritual practi- practices were prescribed and commanded, that then they would become empty rituals. Well, I don't know if you could make a case for none of the spiritual disciplines are necessarily explicit commands. Certainly not in the sense that, you know, that Muslims are prescribed to pray five times in this way, in this format, in this way, yeah. every day. Like, well, the, we don't the primary like New that. Testament ethic is love your neighbor. Yes. And love the Lord your be God. gracious right. and be forgiving. Mm-hmm. And those are the primary commands but how to be shaped and formed into a person that cooperates with those commands enter the spiritual disciplines, I would say. And so enter prayer, enter fasting, enter meditation, Bible study, like all those things important. But if you elevate those over the loving, and we can do this in the church, over the loving your neighbor and over the, you know, being gracious and forgiving, then you feel like, well, I'm, I'm obedient. I've done all the things I'm supposed to do when really those things are supposed to push you into being formed into yes, that type of person. Yes, your heart transformation is the goal, the point. Mm-hmm. And you can do rituals instead of. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, and I think that's been the response of a lot of the evangelical churches, that a lot of ritual is empty, mm. so ritual bad. Right, right, right. So go the other way now. So go the other way, no ritual at all, yeah. where, okay, formless Christianity might not be that, as trans, it's not formational as I need. So how do I have meaningful rhythms, patterns, practices? Yeah, that's wonderful to balance that out because you see in the prophets, God's, because people go there and then they go to the prophets. So look, God's against all this ceremony and empty ritual. No, he's not against ceremony. He's against hypocrisy. Yeah, the empty part. It's not against ritual. He's against empty ritual. Right. Right. Um, And okay, so here's, I've got a couple other a uh, couple other thoughts to explore, maybe. So, do you ever, like on Thanksgiving, do you ever eat like a really light breakfast or maybe not hardly any breakfast and <laughs> you don't have lunch so you can totally pig out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that something you do? Yeah. Or uh, I'll do this on the regular. I'll exercise. Yeah so that I'll be more hungry to yeah. enjoy that meal. Yeah, for oh, sure. Okay, I like yeah. that. Um, okay, I'm not saying that counts as a spiritual practice. <laughs> I know how to celebrate. <laughs> That's a spiritual that. practice. I'm not saying that. So, okay, what is that about? Because um, I feel like there's something there that applies. Hmm. There's this anticipatory, I'm anticipating a celebration. I'm heightening mm-hmm my anticipation of this celebratory meal. I'm looking forward to this celebration knowing I'm not, it's not yet time to celebrate. And that's kind of where the, you know, the new wine, old wineskins, you know, the, the new cloth, the old cloth illustration is, okay, now we're in a period where am I looking forward to this celebration when the groom returns? Am I one of the 10 mm-hmm. virgins with my lamp filled with oil, ready for, you know, it's not yet time to feast and celebrate because the bridegroom is 
it hasn't come yet, but when he comes, boy, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm almost, yeah. I'm not even, I'm like foregoing lunch. So when, you know, whenever we have Thanksgiving dinner at 3 p.m., dang, I'm going to get after it. It took me half the way through your analogy to get your point. And then, <laughs> then I was like, oh, that's a really good point. That's a wonderful analogy. I'm anticipating the feast in order to rightfully prepare for the feast. I got fast. Yeah. And I wonder though, because it, so, all right, do I actually look at, so this is not even about fasting. Do I look at life that way? That my final fulfillment, my final joy, my full happiness comes when the bridegroom comes and not before. That's good. And fasting might be a recognition of, I live in a painful time. There's going to be pain and disappointment and heartbreak. And sometimes fasting is just an appropriate... And maybe we don't fast because we want to just whistle past the graveyard mm-hmm. and not recognize the pain of life. Mm-hmm. Where maybe that's just not real at all. Where may I, you know, maybe I need to fast and mourn my own sin, mourn the brokenness of the world, mourn whatever it is. Yeah, just the just the separation and alienation of the human experience. Right. Like, oh, it's not how it's supposed it's to not be. How it's supposed to. And be. fasting feels like an alignment of the void that we feel of God. And at the same time, that's like, that sounds really bummerish. <laughs> except I'm fasting in anticipation yeah. that all of this will be made right. All of the books will be balanced. All the injustices will be straightened out. All sin will be handled. You know, everyone who... Um, all will be redeemed that God, that uh, all humans who sort of submit themselves to the redemption that is to come will be redeemed, including myself. So it's not like someone who's... Uh, it, I think we might think of fasting like I'm not having lunch and not, I'm forgetting like that Thanksgiving dinner's coming in a few hours. Like you can make the fast the point. I can make the fast the point Mm -hmm. where like it's appropriate now to fast, but part of the reason it's appropriate now to fast is I know the feast is coming. Mm. You know, the wedding feast in Revelation 19, that's that's coming, the celebration, you know, and do I, and does that even, so that's again, less about fasting than how do I look at my whole everything in life. Because yeah. I think our culture would say, you know, you, you know, find maximum happiness now. And here's how you do it. Here's how you live ha- healthy, happy. Here's how you advance your career. Here's how you save for retirement. Here's how you have good experiences on vacation. All of which are fine. Yeah. If we don't look at them as the ultimate. Well, happiness. another way to say it is I, I think we avoid pain, we avoid the the death, if you will, the sacrifice is what Lent is about, preparing yeah. and sacrificing and going Jesus going to the cross and then him laying a pattern for his people. This is life. It's living, dying, rising, living, dying. I think we, we want to skip the we want to skip part. the dying. I, can't I just rise and live and we see what happens with that is we were committed so hard to 
rising and living, but maybe we become shallow, we become empty. Our celebration becomes an empty ritual, perhaps, where we're trying so hard to be full, but we don't know very well how to be emptied. So then we probably don't know very well how to actually be full or filled. Yeah, that's that's good. So the quality of being full, like there's a lesser quality to being full if I have to be full all the time um, in order to not, like if I'm, if the thing I'm desperate for is not to be empty, mm. then I have to be, I don't even enjoy being full. Well, to go with your analogy, you can't eat Thanksgiving feast morning, noon, and night. No, Oof. you can't. And it would if you did, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving feast oh, anymore. I like that. Right? Yep. And I think that's sometimes how we try to, we want to live, we want to cram everything in to every day. And then even if we're successful in doing that, we're sort of lessening the impact of those things in our life. Uh, it's because now we're kind of back to rhythm where I, okay, why don't I fast? Well, honestly, sometimes it, I'm just too, I got, I'm doing too much. I'm too busy. I'm too, like, it's probably something you have to plan for and work around. And, and I got stuff to do. I got kingdom stuff to do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yes, right. Right? Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'd run out of energy for whatever. I'm going to get tired I'm gonna get if tight. I don't eat. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so I think that's sort of, can I trust that well, maybe all of my activity, like, what is that? Maybe all my activity is maybe less important than I think. Maybe it's I'm desperately afraid of being quiet in mourning. So then I don't I don't do I don't mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. I'm desperately afraid of being hungry, so I feast all the time. Yeah. And then the, it's really not about the feast, it's about hunger. Um I'm really not I'm really afraid of being quiet and being alone with the Lord and thinking about the true state of my heart in the true state of the world. So I keep busy for him all the time. Mm. And then it's the busyness isn't even as fruitful. Yeah. Because it's not about the business. It's about avoiding the quiet. That's good. And that probably applies to almost every spiritual practice. Yeah. That, um, that forces a certain reality that maybe I'm trying to avoid. And so I tell myself I'm too busy for it. Hmm. And hey, eating Thanksgiving dinner is is seems better than than not, except if I'm trying to do it morning, morning, noon, and night. Yeah. So back to the living and dying. So what? Okay, Lent, giving something up for Lent or fasting. Um. What are we missing when we don't do some things like that? When we sort of forego the giving anything up or going without anything? I mean, what do you think to look at it and from the sense of it seems like a negative activity? Mm -hmm. So, but what are we missing? What are we, what are we really missing out on if we don't? Like, what or what untruth are we trying to live out that's going to impede us? Or, without doing those things, what's the impact of that, do you think, on us? Yeah, a few things came to, to mind, mind initially. The first would be just an analogy of exercise and how muscles work, is if you don't tear the fibers down, they can't build back up. 
into strength. And so if you don't have any en endurance or cardiovascular, um, you know, you're on the treadmill 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, if you don't have that, um, then you'll, you'll actually decrease in strength. And so your spiritual muscles may atrophy a bit. And you, and when I'm, when I say that, I mean, you may be living a lesser version of who you could be as in less gracious, less compassionate, less filled with faith or courageous or whatever that may be. So that's one thought. And the other's connected. I think we're just prone to be um, creatures of habit and we're prone to get into routines and rhythms. And if we just let life happen and let our own autopilot happen, we'll probably end up living a pretty narrow life and a lesser version of ourselves in our second half of life. And one of the things that a negative practice might do is to help us to be more aware, mm. to cause us to say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm just getting a little bit off autopilot and I'm trying to pay attention to what... Mm -hmm. God is doing or who I am or hmm. something like that. So those are two thoughts. So, you know, the, I think the exercise analogy is interesting because um, there's a certain reality to our human physiology that is at play there, that in order to, um, you have to tax the muscles to the point where they have, they build themselves back up and the building themselves back up is, you know, what, what builds your muscles. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the same thing is true with the, you know, the bones as, you know, as you get older, they recommend, I mean, they recommend people do some even low level weightlifting to keep your bones strong mm. because it's the same idea where you have to sort of tax it in order to, so it responds by pressure. strengthening. Yeah. Um, so in a spiritual way, I'm not sure. So there's a reality there physically. Yeah. I, I don't know that we, we wrestle with the reality of, is that what I really believe about spiritual growth? Mm. Uh, that I actually need some sort of um, something I wouldn't choose to do, something that's uncomfortable in order to um, really grow spiritually. And if I think on the one hand, we can see how that, obviously that's true, that if I got everything I wanted, if I had all the money I could ever imagine having. I was never going to go without. I knew I was never going to get sick. My family was no, nothing bad was going to happen. If I, if that was all the case all the time, would I grow spiritually? Mm. I'm probably not no. because I would think, well, life's very enjoyable. I'll enjoy life. I believe the right things, yeah. but I think I would be spiritual weakling mm -hmm. because that's, for one thing, that's there's a that's an unreal situation, and the reality is, I do need God. I am broken. I will get sick. People in my family will get sick. That's the reality of that of the time that we're living in in between the one the one visit of the bridegroom and the final visit of the bridegroom. This is the real reality, and it's sort of facing and confronting that reality is necessary for me to grow spiritually. And, and often what we can do, I think, in the church is substitute knowing more theology 
which is not unpleasant for some people, mm-hmm. that, and we equate those two things as spiritual growth, when really I probably need to recognize my brokenness. I need to recognize my dependence. I need to cry out. And spiritual practices, including fasting, help me to realize that reality. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, that, cause otherwise I would tend to live in unreality. I would tend to think, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm strong without that. <clears throat> I think looking in the mirror is, you know, that will show some level of reality physically. Mm-hmm. And what is that? I mean, I think you almost need the spiritual practices to be able to look in the mirror and see some level of spiritual That's reality. Good. Yeah, Because if you never looked in the mirror, you might think, you know, maybe I look great all the time. I mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, you know, oh, my shirt shrunk a little bit. You know, whatever you tell yourself, yeah. you tell yourself. Yeah, right? I should start saving up for new clothes. Yeah, I probably <laughs> need to get, you know, those darn shirts, you know, after a few washings, they shrink up a little bit. Um, when the reality is, no, you put on some weight. Um, and so spiritually, I just think it's so easy for us to make up a, a, a more fanciful, pleasant description of my own spiritual state. Yeah. I do think fasting, prayer... Bible reading, um, community, all of these things are partly a reminder of, yeah, I really need God. I think, yeah, I, it, yeah, that's a really great way to say it, to run with it for a second. The, the whole point of redemption, the whole point of needing to be rescued and remade and restored to proper image bearing is not that we would become independent people, but that we would become dependent Mm -hmm. people. That's the goal of discipleship. That's the goal of worship. That's the goal of all of this is to say the truest thing about you is that you need someone bigger than you and that you need something bigger than you outside of you. And that's the truest thing about you. It's not, I don't need anyone or anything or I can do this on my own. That's actually yeah. if I make not the right true. choices and I work hard, mm-hmm. then I can live independently. Is yeah. sort of the cultural underlying message. So the the fasting comes in to say this: you forego something, and you remind yourself of your creatureliness, right. of your dependency on not just food. You're dependent upon food, but you're dependent upon the God who provides all mm-hmm. food. So you're mm-hmm. dependent upon God. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a great. Mm-hmm. Um, reminder of what fasting can do. And then you said something else I want to come back to, the whole, um, you know, the whole death, you know, living, dying, Mm -hmm. rising, we want to skip the dying part. Um, Because I do think this points to another thing that we're not great at, um, that maybe Lent, maybe fasting are reminders of another reality that I'm supposed to be dying to myself every day. Yeah. And that's what Jesus says, right? If you want to follow me, you pick up your cross daily, which doesn't mean, you know, you've got to deal with your mother-in-law, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever we culturally do, like I'm bearing my cross. <laughs> that's not what it means. For I, some? Yeah. <laughs> It means I'm going to die to something. In order to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to be in a pattern of regularly dying to what I would do otherwise. Yeah. What my response would be otherwise. 
my angry response, sarcastic response, my fearfulness, my lack of faith, my self-sufficiency, whatever that would be that I have to die to. Like that's, if you're going to be my disciple, you pick up your cross daily. Paul says, you know, that you're a living sacrifice. So you're just crawling up on the altar every day. And I'm wondering if we never do any of the, these other negative spiritual practices, I, it, it's sort of like that's an enactment of, an, that's a periodic or rhythmic or ritualistic enactment of something that I need to be doing every day spiritually. That I don't know if I will, will I do, will I really do that without some sort of pattern of reminding myself that I actually do have stuff that I have to die to. Right. Uh, and I think that's, like like you said, I think we can approach everything, we're Americans, from a positive point of view. Like, I want to grow, which means what? It means, it doesn't mean I want to break my muscles down so they can, you know, it means I want to learn more stuff. I want to have growing, I'm going to read my Bible and have a wonderful experience reading my Bible. Mm. Maybe take a picture and post it on social media. Mm -hmm. With coffee with and coffee. chocolate and... Right. That's a fine way to read your Bible. Right. All for it. But maybe sometimes these spiritual practices should be really bothersome. Yeah. What I hear you say is we have made spiritual growth about addition. Yeah. And we've forgotten the subtraction. That's right. That is a good way of saying it. Like we assume... and I don't even think we decided it. It's just sort of a cultural thing where I'm going to get better at being a Christian. Right. So therefore, here's the things I add. Right. So yeah, just like anything else. I mean, if I want to get better at being a mathematician, I take more math classes and I do math problems. Uh, but I'm wondering, though, if you actually were a mathematician, part of getting better would be confronting math problems you can't solve mm -hmm. and realizing that area of growth. And I think we sort of just assume I'm going to read this, I'm going to I'm going to watch my favorite preacher on the TV, mm -hmm. on the YouTube, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as the kids don't say. Um, and I like that. That's a pleasurable experience. It makes me feel good. Right. It makes me feel spiritual. Ergo, that's spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably not. That might be spiritual regression. Come on. <laughs> Right? Because that's about me having this positive experience, positive experiences, growth. Whereas we've been saying, that's not really, often growth requires a negative experience. Yeah. You got to sweat really hard and your muscles have to ache a little bit for you to grow. There is no true, authentic, genuine resurrection and rising to life without a holistic, full on death. Mm -hmm. There's just not. Right. The pattern is not, I'm going to suffer a little and then I'll be alive. Yes. It's, I'm going to go to the cross. Yeah. Or I'm glad Jesus suffered so that I don't have to. I mean, that, we don't actually. Right. Well, maybe somebody, maybe somebody's listening and goes, yeah, that's what I think. Maybe Jesus <laughs> suffered so I don't have to. Well, that's completely wrong. Like we're supposed to join him in his sufferings. Mm -hmm. That he is the pattern for us. And his was salvific and ours won't be. But uh, it doesn't mean... Yeah, he suffered so that we can have, and I do think God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, was the old four spiritual laws. That's the first spiritual law. 
and that's true. I just think culturally we interpret wonderful plan for my life as a plan that feels wonderful all the time. Yeah, right. Uh, and yet we know in every other area of life, probably it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess as we sort of close this out, I guess one of the things, you know, okay, you could say, okay, everyone go fast. Okay. Well that maybe that's not a bad thing. Everyone go fast, <laughs> but what are you dying to? How are you enacting that? How are you wrestling with, you know, how do you mourn what's not right in your life or your heart or the world? How does that work for you? If it's not fasting, what is it? Mm-hmm. Cause that's really, I think the, the bigger question is these are all things that help us do this more basic thing. Yeah. And do I even think about that? Do I even wrestle with mourning for the state of my heart, grieving for what is not, but will be looking forward then in hope. Do I look forward do I look for, do I look to retirement and having a Viking river cruise, which that sounds awesome. <laughs> if, you, if you're doing that, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I, one day I hope to do that too. Or is my hope bigger than that? And I'm really living in anticipation. Uh, Cause now death is, looks different mm-hmm. and life looks different. And how am I doing that? If it's not fasting, I mean, again, we're not commanding it. Bible doesn't right. command it, but what what is that? So that's sort of, I don't know what you think. That's sort of how I would say, let's maybe con- wrestle with that question. Yeah. No, I think that's good to keep that in focus, the mourning, the loss, the confronting self, anticipation. So I won't really add to that. I would just say, if you want to engage in fasting, um, you are free to do trial and error because it's not commanded. So I would say for anyone out there, start small. You know, maybe it's a breakfast, maybe it's a lunch, maybe it's 20, 30 minutes of prayer. It's not... Go with that dessert. Right. Yeah. You're not looking for, yeah. I've got to take this whole day. I've never done this. days. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Please don't do that. Well, that do can be medically challenging. Point, because we like to achieve things in America. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm going to fast, I'm going to be the best faster. <laughs> winning at fasting. I'm winning. I'm achieving fasting better than anyone. <laughs> yes. Right. No, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. That might defeat the whole That's purpose. right. That's right. There is a passage about that. When you fast. Don't tell everybody and look gloomy and all these things and don't play it up. Oh yeah, I'd love to join you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would just say that start small, trial and error. Um, the whole point is to engage in prayer and um, connection right. and communion with God. That's right. And this, you know, I'm coming from a failed faster. Uh, you know, I'm gonna. I have confronting that same question. What does that look like yeah. for me? So uh, we'll have grace for each other as we get up and fall down and get up again on that. Yeah, I like that. With that, God bless, grace, and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.